I see Nate's videos because he, he just has all of this amazing stuff in there. I'm like, that's super intimidating. Like he's done so much. But we need to remember that they have done those things over a long period of time. And it's just being available, doing this thing, doing the next thing. And, and I can see the fruit of that grow over time. So um, have a chat with them if you want to kind of get some more ideas or whatever. Um, but yeah, so we look forward to hearing some other stories of what people are doing. Right, so let's dive back into the story that Jesus was telling about the Good Samaritan. Just to catch us up, I've got Fiona to come up and I was going to bring the microphone to you, but that's not going to happen today. So instead you have to come. Never mind, it is going to happen. Yep, Nate's fixing everything behind the scenes. He's amazing. Just come on up anyway. Yeah, you might as well. Where's this voice coming from? So. That's right. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, and back then, in those days, the Bible was treated with a huge amount of reverence, and it was walked into the church in the morning, it was walked out, and if you were reading scripture, you stood up and you did it proper like. Um, yeah, so that's why I thought I'd choose to stand up. <laughs> so here we go. Today's um, message is coming to you from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. The most important commandment. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, Well, who's my neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, if his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you next time I'm here. Now which one of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Very good, thank you. On the front seat there would be great. Press the button. Great. Thanks Fiona, appreciate that. All right, so last week we talked about, we focused on the question, who is my neighbor? And we were starting to think through who are the people that God has laid on our path. We decided that our neighbor is the one that God has placed in front of us who needs our help. And <clears throat> specifically in light of our, <clears throat> sorry, in, in light of our push this year of who are the people God has laid in our path who need to know who he is, who are separated from him. So that was the focus who is our neighbor. But this week, I want to take the next step after we've kind of identified who are the people that God is wanting us to kind of focus on. 
The next step comes from the key verse in this passage, I believe. The verse that kind of turns the tide and changes everything. And that's verse 33. And a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. It's a simple verse, isn't it? It's just like a simple structure right there. There it is. And yet, what an impact that verse can have. What a difference in the world that verse can have if it's lived out. Can you imagine living in a world where everyone acted the same way that the Samaritan acted? Can you imagine if everyone had compassion for each other? What a wonderful world this would be. And I believe it starts with seeing. The Samaritan saw the man lying on the side of the road. Famous author John Steinbeck said this. He said, I wonder how many people I have looked at all my life and never seen. I wonder how many people I've looked at all my life and never seen. I wonder how often we go through life interacting with hundreds of people. There's people everywhere, especially in a city like Auckland. There's people all over the place, and we interact with people all of the time, and I wonder if we ever see any of them. We see people, of course. We see people we interact with. We, we buy things from a shop clerk. We, we sort of have exchanges of fingers with other drivers. We, we sort of, you know, we have all of these different interactions with all of these different people, but we kind of characterize the people by the things that they do or the nature of the interaction, right? That person is a teacher. This person uh, does my dry cleaning. That person was really, really rude. This person is rude or obnoxious and loud. That person's really funny. That person's really good looking. This person... Um, I don't know, took my money at the store, whatever. We characterize people by the interactions that we have, the roles that they play, or the attitudes that we come in contact with, don't we? But truly seeing someone means looking past all of those things, looking past the attitudes, the behaviors, the stuff on the front, and seeing what makes that person really tick. What makes that person who they are? Their experiences, the life that they've lived. I'm, I'm, I'm getting Siri going again. <laughs> it means seeing their true value. What is their value as a person? Now again, different people, different cultures will see value in people for different reasons. Some people will see value in someone for the bank account that they have, how much money they have, what career they have. They will see value in someone for who their parents are and what bloodline they've got. Other people will see value in someone for their values and attitudes. They will value someone who's hardworking. They will value someone who has integrity. They will value someone who um, treats each other well. Or we will not value if they don't treat each other well, right? These are the things that we assign value to people based on. 
We assign value to each person based on how they fulfill the characteristics that are important to us. Yeah? And a lot of those characteristics are important. They're good things. And they are important to God. But at the core, the value attached to a person doesn't come from that stuff. The value attached to a person comes from one simple concept. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. I've read this one before. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What is the core value of humanity? We look like God in some form. There is part of us that has the essence of who God is in us. We're image bearers. Each and every human on the planet has value based on the fact that they look like God. Now, they may not act like it. They may actually get themselves into a lot of trouble with each other and with God. And by they, I mean us, right? We get ourselves into trouble with God. We can often, in fact, some people end up separated from God based on the things that they do, based on the life that they live. But despite all of that, even the most horrible human being, no names, please, right now, even the most horrible human being cannot lose the value that they have of being made in the image of God. It's a tough one to swallow, especially when we think about some of the horrible people in the world. And we don't excuse behavior, and we do need to make sure that we have justice and all of those sorts of things. But they do not lose their value. So that value as image bearers should become the foundation, the building block upon which everything else we build about who that person is. That's the foundation. It begins with the fact that they are made in the image of God. So, as we think about the people around us, as we think about our neighborhoods, as it were, whether it's our literal neighborhood or whether it's our workplace, whether it's our extended family in Fano or, or whether it's the school community that you're in, whatever community that you have decided that you really want to love and serve next year, let's endeavor to truly see them, to see beyond their behaviors, to see beyond the labels that we attach to people and go deep into what makes them human, what makes them look like God. And that comes when we actually truly open ourselves up to get to know them on a relationship basis, right? Like we get to know them, get to know them as people, as friends, as family members, not by this is my job or this is what I've done or this is how I've treated someone, but who they are. We get to know their backgrounds, their stories, their experiences. We hear and we seek to understand what makes them tick, their hobbies, their work, their families. And as we see them in their full humanity, as we dig down deep into who they actually are, what happens in our heart is we are drawn to compassion towards them. We are drawn towards a positive relationship to them 
we want to help. We start seeing the needs that they have. We start seeing the hurt, the separation they may have between them and God. And we want to start helping. Like the Samaritan who saw past all of these other things and saw someone who needed help. Jesus, of course, no surprise, had that sight. says when he saw the crowds, he saw these people, many of whom later on are going to execute him, who are going to reject him and abuse him. He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't hold that against them. He wanted to help them. There's a very um, important concept within the Maori culture called manakitanga. I hope I've said that properly. Manakitanga is... Well, have a listen to this um, definition of manakitanga that I found on the Māori Party's constitution. Manakitanga is behavior that acknowledges that the mana or the, the value or the respect due a person of others as having equal or greater importance than one's own through the expression of aroha, love, hospitality, generosity, and mutual respect. In doing so, all parties are elevated and our status is enhanced, building unity through humility and the act of giving. Manakatanga is this idea of seeing the value of someone else, seeing their mana, and then lifting it up, seeking its betterment. Pretty good, right? I mean, what, what a beautiful picture of harmony that would be if we lived that out. It's almost like God should have told us to practice manakatanga and practice serving other people from the very beginning. Oh, wait. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others as well. Seek the betterment of others. Manakatanga is seeing the true value and raising that value to seek their betterment. Not to oversimplify, but manakatanga, which is a huge part of Maori culture, is loving your neighbor as yourself, is it not? So the story of the Good Samaritan teaches us to practice manakatanga. To see the mana that God has given them. To see the value, the intrinsic value that God has placed in their hearts, in their minds, in their lives. And then to seek to uplift that by caring for their needs and showing them love. Yeah? This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it is easier to practice manakatanga with some people than it is with others. Yeah? It's easier to show and to see the good in some people than others, such as your neighbor who starts doing lawn manicuring. (laughs) Or perhaps your other neighbor who's decided to have a yard sale by the looks of it. Or maybe in your workplace you have to work with people like this. Where is my desk? That is weird. This is not 
funny. This is totally unprofessional. Okay, well, you're the one who lost the desk. I didn't lose my desk. Okay, calm down. Where was the last place you saw it? Okay, who moved my desk? I think you should retrace your steps. Okay, I am going to tell Michael, and this entire office will be punished. Colder. Warmer. A little warmer. There you go. Ooh, warmer. 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 Cold, cold, cold. Back up. Ooh. Ooh, warmer. Hot. Red hot. Hot. Very hot. <laughs> Dwight Schrute. Hi, Dwight. Um, what sort of discounts are we giving on the 20-pound white bond? Jim, I've given you this information like 20 times. Right now. It's by the ream? Uh, yeah. Ream. It okay. is now 9.78. So it's a discount of 7%. Okay, thank you. Gotta get back to work. Hopefully you don't have workmates like that. But we know, look, we know there are people in our lives who are hard to deal with. Uh, I can imagine a flood of names filling your, your mind right now, of people that are just that little bit harder to get along with. Some people are hard to get along with because they're annoying or they're awkward to be around. Some are so radically different in the way that they go about life that it's just hard to find common ground with them. They're in such a different life stage, it's harder to connect with them. My neighbors, for example, they said that they don't like to eat meat. And I'm like, what do we even talk about, you know? <laughs> Others are hard to deal with because they're actually not very pleasant people. They act horribly. Maybe they don't care about the noise that they're making in the neighborhood. Maybe they don't care about the way that they're treating people. Maybe they're just absolute idiots at work. Maybe they, they don't act according to the values and the norms that we would expect of someone to act within a certain situation. Maybe they're actually aggressive and intimidating. If we're being particularly honest and vulnerable here, there are some people we may be hard to get along with because they trigger biases and, and discomforts within us. Samaritan in our story knew all about biases. In fact, he's described as the despised Samaritan, which is interesting because in the first century, if you had said despised Samaritan, they're like, that's just a redundant statement. Because everybody, the Jewish people, hated the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, well, they didn't like the Jews either. It had been a feud that had been bubbling for hundreds of years. They disliked each other. They thought that the others were wrong. It wasn't that they just didn't like them. They just thought they were wrong. They thought they weren't any good. They were the lowest of the low. So to all of the people, of all of the people walking down the street and seeing this Jewish man lying on the ground, beaten and dying and needing help, the last one you would expect to help would have been a Samaritan. Any of those who thought to maybe just walk past would have been him. The Samaritan had most reason to think that this guy didn't deserve his help. He had the most reason to think, 
why would I put myself out to help him? He hates me. He hates me. He thinks I'm the wrong kind of human. He certainly wouldn't help me, so why should I help him? And we may have had similar thoughts about certain people. You know, I joke around about certain things, but there are things that really get on our nerves, aren't there? There are things that put separation between us and someone else. Why would we help them? But the Samaritan, whether he had any of those thoughts or not, chose to see past them. He looked beyond the labels. He looked beyond the things that separated him from this man and looked deeper into the thing that drew them together. Their common humanity, the image of God in that person. And with those eyes on, he saw the need and he had compassion. That's the essence of Manakatanga, the essence of the way God wants us to treat the people he has put around us. Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story of sheep and goats, and, and he sort of separates out these righteous people from the unrighteous people. And then he says to the righteous people, well done, you, you helped me, you fed me, you clothed me, you did all sorts of wonderful things. And then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you someone, something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and come and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Compassion for the least of these is compassion towards God because they have the image of God in them and he has told us repeatedly that he is siding with the weak, the lonely, the oppressed and the ones unable to help themselves, even those who may be hard to get along with. All right, so how does this apply to us? The simple truth of this is this. If you want to have an impact on the hearts of the people around you, if you want to see hearts changed and people come to know who Jesus is, we first have to work on our own hearts, yeah? Some of the feedback that I've gotten from this last week as we've been thinking about Love Thy Neighborhood, and I really appreciate, by the way, how engaged you guys have been and you've been thinking this through and, 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 and contemplating and praying and listening to God what he wants you to do. And one of the feedback, some of the feedback that I've gotten is that this idea of loving and serving before speaking has helped to shift us away from the concept of seeing people as tasks. As in we need to, like here is this non-Christian person and I need to get them to become a Christian, like I'm making a sale. You know, I'm a salesperson, so I make my pitch and I try and convince them and get them on board, sign them up, move them on, next person. And we see people as tasks. But when we stop and we shift things around and we start loving and serving people first, it brings their humanity to the front and helps us to start seeing people. And yeah, look, that's a whole lot easier for the neighbor who gives you fijoas from her tree than the one who is pretty convinced has trained their dog to poop in your yard. <laughs> right? 
So how do we do it? How do we work on this so we can help them with their heart? I believe we need to get God's help. God is the one who changes hearts. So he is the one who can come and soften ours. I read this book called God Space, and we're going to actually introduce that to you a little bit more in depth a little bit later on in the year. Uh, but one of the things that he talked about is praying this prayer. And he says that he set a challenge like every day for a month, pray this prayer. The prayer goes like this simple prayer. It says, Lord, as I interact with others today, help me to see them as you do. Simple as that. One sentence. Pray it every day. Pray it genuinely. Lord, help me to see people as you see them. And the other piece of advice I want to give is to go out into that neighborhood that you have selected. Whether it's your literal neighborhood, go take a walk. To pray as you walk through the streets and you see people and you see houses that you would see them as God sees them. If it's your whanau that you are connecting with, go and visit them with that prayer circulating in the back of your mind. You may not want to say it out loud, that might creep them out, but you know, have it circulate in the back of your mind. As I go through my school, I'm, I'm focusing on my school community, I want to go with those words meditating in my heart. Ask Jesus to put that filter over my eyes that I will see people, truly see people, and that will lead me to have compassion on them as the Samaritan had compassion on that Jewish man. And that will lead to action. That will lead us to actually doing something. And that is what my friend Aaron is going to talk with us about next week. So make sure you come back for that. I'm going to pray. And um, then we're going to... We're just going to pray. Just pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you have loved us. Thank you for the way that you have seen through our rebellion. You've seen through the things we have done wrong. You've seen through our attitudes. You've seen through our behavior. You saw a little piece of you in us. You loved that. You had compassion on us. And so you climbed down out of heaven and you walked amongst us and you died at our own hands so that we could be reconnected with you, so that you could work on our hearts and we could become more like you. It's a beautiful story. We're honored to be a part of it. And as we seek to help other people have that same story, Lord, it starts with the way that we see them. So work on our hearts. Give us the heart that you have. Give us the eyes that you have to see people the way that you see them. And thank you for the mercy for when we don't. It's in your name we pray. Amen.